What did he say? Heal, heal the bruises? What was that line? I feel thy balm and all my bruises healing. My soul is filled. My heart is set at ease. That's just, that's beautiful poetry. I really okay. love that. Ladies, take down your too blessed to be stressed signs and put that <laughs> on your wall. <laughs> And we're back with another episode of Him Partial, the podcast where we talk all things church music. I'm Monet Funka. And I'm Cara Devereaux. And today we are taking a tour across Europe and then off to the States via India as we go around the world collecting up the verses of one of the most well-loved hymns of the last century. From Soviet famine to post-war refugees to the Billy Graham crusades, we've got the church worldwide singing How Great Thou Art. That's right. But before we get to that, if you're new here, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast or follow us on social media at HimPartial, or you can visit our website, HimPartial.com, where you can sign up for our completely free and completely awesome weekly newsletter. Yep. So first off, I thought since this is quite a well-known hymn, Monet, what is your history with this hymn? Do you know it? Um, is it like got any special connections for you? Actually, it does. Um, but it's a bit strange. I know the, I guess, more um, circulated hymn tune, but the version of this song that I kind of have memorized in terms of being able to play it on the guitar and sing it was actually an arrangement uh, written by my friend at my old church. Um, and it was called, my God, how great you are. Uh, it, it's, it's essentially the same lyrics. It's just got a different arrangement. And this song, singing this song with my friend, um, at my old church was part of what made me want to learn how to play the guitar and also really drew me towards uh, worship music in general. So kind of a heavy history with it, or I guess a, a, a significant history with this song. That's really sweet. Is there a recording out there of that arrangement? Probably. I'm not sure. I'll have to ask her. It's kind of a, it's kind of an arrangement that became really popular within my home, my home church back home. Um, and in some of the kind of like uh, Bible studies that we had in and around that church. But I don't know that she's recorded it anywhere. She might have. Okay. It's just that as part of our amazing free newsletter, we often link our favorite um, performances or recordings of the hymns we talk about. Uh, so I was thinking maybe that would be a nice one if we can find it. Okay. If we can, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll link no it promises. If we can. I, don't think it, I don't think it's out there, but maybe we'll find it. <laughs> yeah, no promises, but we'll try. <laughs> okay. So normally I like to go through hymns in a fairly systematic way. But the problem with this one is there's such an unusual song in terms of how it came to be um, that kind of rather than talking about its writer and then its origins and then the lyrics and the tune, um, today we're going to go through it verse by verse instead. Okay. So get out your globe or your atlas or whatever. It's going to be a long trip through time and space for this one. <laughs> So uh, we're going to start our journey in Victorian era Sweden with Carl Gustav Boberg, who is commonly attributed 
as the author of this hymn. Okay. How do you say that's your name? Boberg? Boberg? I think. I mean, I'm saying that. I don't speak Swedish, so I don't know if I'm yeah, saying it right. <laughs> it could be, could be Boberg or something. I don't mm-hmm. know. <laughs> um, anyway, <laughs> our tale begins one Sunday as he was walking home with some friends after Sunday service. Um, and he had this to say about the afternoon. It was that time of year when everything seemed to be in its richest colour. The birds were singing in the trees and everywhere. It was very warm. A thunderstorm appeared on the horizon and soon there was thunder and lightning. We had to hurry to shelter, but the storm was soon over and the clear sky appeared. When I came home, I opened my window towards the sea. There had evidently been a funeral and the bells were playing. That evening, I wrote the song, O Mighty God. Beautiful. Yeah. So apparently it had eight or nine verses at the time. Um, Yeah. One of which we have. Um, It was first published as a poem in a local periodical in 1886. Um, And several years later, Boberg, who became a pastor, um, he also became later a Swedish member of parliament. um, But at this point, he was a pastor. And he was surprised when he turned up to a meeting and found them singing this song that he'd written. um, And they were singing it to a modified version of an old Swedish folk tune, which is the tune that we have now. Really? Yeah. So it's a bit weird, but the tune is the one thing that has been constant about this song. (laughs) Imagine the, the weird, like just showing up like, hey, everybody, what? What is going on? <laughs> like, what I know th- those words. Yeah. Where do I know them from? <laughs> That's a nice surprise. <laughs> yeah. So the only verse we still sing that is translated from his works and not edited is the first one, which hmm. goes, O Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the works thy hand has made. I see the stars. I hear the rolling thunder. Thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my saviour God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. It's a cracker. It is. It's so good. And I could hear the other arrangement in my head, like as you're reading it. So, yeah, very special song. Cool. Yeah. So, verse two. Whip out your passports. We're jet setting east into Estonia next, which is kind of like between... Russia and Sweden is kind of east, the northern bit of hmm. um, Europe. I had to look it up because I thought it was in the south of Europe, but it's not. <laughs> <laughs> I was literally going to ask, where's Estonia? So I'm glad you told us. <laughs> yeah, I, I just <laughs> Googled it because I was like, my European geography is pretty poor. Um, anyway, so we are joining Manfred von Glen. G-L-E-H-N. It's German. Um, Sure. (laughs) Yeah. So he shares a nationality with our secret third member of the podcast. Mm. Um, But he wasn't just German. He was a Baptist. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) And he heard the hymn being sung by the Swedish community where he was. And he loved it so much that he translated it into German in 1907. So this is a good 20 years later. Yeah. Um, but nobody's changing the tune. Like, they're all just <laughs> like, this tune's fine. We'll keep it. Um, yeah, from there, it spread across the German-speaking parts of the world. 
But rather than heading Englandward, it's going further east into Russia and down into Ukraine. And mm. a guy called Prokhanov um, translated it into Russian. Okay. Which is really cool because apparently he was known as the Martin Luther of Russia and I've never heard of him. What? Prokhanov? Prokhanov, yeah. Ivan S. Prokhanov. <laughs> it's a very Russian name. Yeah, Ivan Prokhanov. It <laughs> it's a good one. It I does make it. me wonder though, like how many incredible people there are out there that we've just never heard of or might never hear of. Millions, honestly. Mm. Honestly. That's an that's another conversation altogether, but tell me about Ivan. That's it. He just that's all I know. <laughs> <laughs> he translated it. It into Russian. <laughs> um so it spreads pretty far. Yeah. Rus- Russia picks it up and they're like, Oh hey, this is good tune. So they like <laughs> they all sing it. I probably shouldn't have done that. Um, <laughs> and it spreads into Ukraine where they speak Ukrainian, which is similar to Russian. Okay. And there we meet a guy called Stuart K. Hine, which is not a Ukrainian name. I was going to say, that feels very not Ukrainian. <laughs> yeah. Um, he actually is an English missionary. Oh, wow. Okay. And he heard the song sung in Russian and he loved it and he decided to translate it into English. All right. So it's like a bit of, you know, that Google Translate game where you put it through a bunch of languages and then put it back. So this no. <laughs> this hymn has gone from Swedish to German to Russian to English. Wow. Um, but it's still fairly similar to the original. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but Hein decides that he's going to take some creative liberties. Mm. So he begins to play with it in Russian before translating it. And he adds some of his own kind of like interpretation, mm. some of his own reflections on the beauty of the Carpathian Mountains where he worked. And mm-hmm. uh, by the time it's done in 1923, he's written it up a second verse. Hmm. Which goes, When through the woods and forest glades I wander and hear the birds sing sweetly in the trees, when I look down from lofty mountain grandeur and see the brook and feel the gentle breeze, then sings my soul, my saviour God, to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Wow. Yeah, I know there are some people that like to cut this verse because it's sentimental. <laughs> we can't have that, it's sentimental. Uh. It's, it's birds singing and babbling <laughs> brooks. <so. laughs> That must mean God's very sentimental because he made all that stuff. <laughs> There's a difference between sentimental and poetic. Ah, I see, I see, I see. That's that's my stance on it anyway. <laughs> Interesting. So he added that second verse, but but like in the middle of the other verses that he kept? Um, I think he kept two verses. So the first one and then a third one. Mm-hmm. which I couldn't find anywhere. I couldn't mm. identify it. Mm. We don't sing it anymore. Mm. But this second verse, I think it's similar to the Swedish, but it's not the same. So it's a similar idea reflecting on nature and the beauty of creation, mm-hmm. but it, it's not the same verse. I see. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but there seems to be like a theme going on with a lot of the hymns that we've talked about where nature has been something of an inspiration. 
Um, mm. Yeah. What are your thoughts on like nature as inspiration for hymns or even like inspiration for hymns in general? Like where does it come from? Well, I think it goes back to Romans when, you know, it's clearly stated that we know that God exists. We see him, we see him in in his creation. You know, we see it not to be hippie like, oh, God is, you know, God's in nature or whatever, you know. Well, this is his handiwork. And so, you know, the heavens proclaim it, as the psalmist says. And, and I think we would do well to reflect in those same ways. It's biblical that we see God in nature. Um, there's obvious, that's, I think that's what we would call his general revelation. Like everyone knows that everyone who goes outside and they're like, man, this is beautiful. Like they're experiencing God's creation. Very different from his, his special revelation, you know, his word and Jesus, you know, very specifically um, speaking towards our sin and our need for a savior. But I think, I think it just goes to show you how great the Lord is <laughs> because when, you know, people go out in nature and if, if they're sinners that haven't been saved by grace, then they're going to worship nature because it is so beautiful. It's like, well, look outside. It's gorgeous. Like, look at how beautiful this mountaintop is, this, this river, this bird, this tree, this, you know, it's so, it's, it's so, um, awesome that folks are drawn to it. And unfortunately outside of the saving grace of God, they're drawn to it in an idolatrous way. But I think Christians, we could feel comfortable that we're not, you know, idolizing the creation but the creator and this is just some of the small ways that he's shown off his his handiwork I think yeah <laughs> I mean like if you've ever been up the glens sometimes you'll like come up a divide between like a valley between the mountains and like you'll see all these mountains and like a lake at the bottom and beautiful sky and it just makes you want to sing like mm-hmm. I, I don't think maybe we're a bit shy of admitting that because we don't want to be like the romantic poets who are all just kind of like, oh, flowers. And we we want to like, yeah, there needs to be substance to our songs, but there's no reason why we can't praise God for beauty. Yeah, I mean, it might be a bit cliche. I think that's what's happened culturally. We're like, oh, you're talking about nature. But that's just (laughs) like, you know, that's our own hardened hearts because, you know, Dan, uh, actually the photo behind me or the painting behind me is based off of a photo that we took when we went to the Grand Canyon last year. Now, Daniel and I are Christians. We love the Lord and we, you know, we've seen beautiful bits of nature, you know, all, all over. But when we were at the Grand Canyon, we kept looking because we were hiking along the edge there of the, of the, um, I think it's the South Rim. We're walking along the edge and every time we turn and see it from a new angle, we'd go, wow. It was just like involuntary. We weren't like trying to like, you know, you know, really turn up the cheese like, wow, it's so gorgeous. It was just involuntary. We'd turn and be like, wow, you know, and that's, I think, the Christian response to um, beautiful things. Right. When we see Christ in his word, when we see 
um, how what he's done for us, you know, that it should be just as involuntary as if we were looking at the Grand Canyon. Wow. Like, that's such a beautiful display of love. Wow. Like, I can't believe he did that. And, and I think that's why you see it come up in so many hymns, because, you know, we didn't have Netflix when this song was written. <laughs> and so people couldn't just waste their time inside looking at a screen. They were taking walks and enjoying, you know, nature. And that wow came out in their songs. Definitely. Um, and if you Google pictures of the Carpathian Mountains where Stuart K. Hine was ministering, you'll be like, oh, okay, I get that. I get it. Yeah, that'll make <laughs> me sing too. <laughs> um, so... For verse three, we're sticking with Mr. Hein in Ukraine for a little while. Um, so there's a break between his translation and the writing of verse three, in which several English translations are attempted by other people. So in 1925, a guy called Gustav Johnson translated the lyrics, probably more faithfully than Hein did, from the original Swedish into English directly. And he called this song, Almighty God. And his first verse and chorus were, Almighty God, when I behold the wonder of nature's beauty wrought by hands of thine, and how thou leadest all from realms up yonder, sustaining earthly life with love benign, with rapture filled, thy name my soul would laud, Almighty God, Almighty God. Hmm, it's very different. <laughs> It is, but you can also kind of hear some similarities as well. The themes are there. Yeah. I mean, I quite like the line sustaining earthly love with life, uh, earthly life with love benign. That's kind of nice. Um, hmm. But you can kind of hear the language is a bit more archaic in that version. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I suspect that's probably why didn't take off got rejected yeah I mean some people sang it but it just kind of was like flopped in the Mm -hmm. end but like we said in the episode last week about um my mind just went blank oh my goodness the song we talked about last week yeah praise to the lord Lord. (laughs) um translating normal language is hard enough but trying to translate poetry faithfully has got to be so difficult it's so yeah it's so hard but I thought I would share with you two more verses from the Swedish version, translated mm-hmm. into English, obviously, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because they're really nice and mm-hmm. I wish we'd kept them. So it goes, When crushed by guilt of sin, before thee kneeling, I plead for mercy and for grace and peace. I feel thy balm and all my bruises healing. My soul is filled. My heart is set at ease. And then the another verse And when at last the mists of time have vanished, and I in truth my faith confirmed shall see, upon the shores where earthly ills are banished, I'll enter, Lord, to dwell in peace with thee. Wow. That makes a hand raiser of me. (laughs) And, you know, it points to the thing we love, which is ending in glory. (laughs) Yeah, there's that too. Although the, the... the, the other verse about being forgiven your sins as well is, is really mm-hmm. beautiful. What did he say? Heal, heal the bruises? What was that line? I feel thy balm and all my bruises healing. My soul is filled. My heart is set at ease. That's just, that's beautiful poetry. I okay. really love that. 
ladies, take down your two blessed to be stressed signs and put that <laughs> on your wall. <laughs> yeah, legit. It's 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 great. Um, yeah, so so much talent goes into it. Goes into these translations. It's such a it's such a skill. You know, it's not just knowing a language, because translation is more than just understanding the language. Um, and because if you think about idioms, we I use this example a lot. My husband uses this example a lot. There's an idiom in Ger in German that translated to English means so runs the rabbit. I love that one. Yeah, and that just is nonsense in English. So runs the rabbit. It roughly means like that's the way it goes. You know, it is what it is. You know, it, it, you know, and there's a lot of there. You need to have a lot of knowledge of that in order to translate something well, because in poetry and in lyric, there's a lot of metaphors and a lot of um, imagery and 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 allusions to things culturally that just maybe won't translate. You know, yeah. So it is a skill. It's a big skill. Yeah, and idioms in other languages are a fascinating diversion that we're not going to take right no. now. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say though, I did like that German one. That's never a master fell from the sky. Yeah, oh, so that's strange. a good one. Yeah, <laughs> it's not strange if you're German. <laughs> anyway, um, in the meantime. Uh, back in Ukraine, there have been several English translations attempted um, mm. of this hymn during that period. None of them took off. Hmm. Um, the English language was very resistant to this hymn for a long time. Hmm. But back in Ukraine, Stuart and Edith, Edith was his wife, also obviously not Ukrainian. Um, they were off on their evangelistic travels. And one evening... In their travels, they had asked their host about any local Christians in the village they were staying in. And mm -hmm. the host only knew of one couple whose names I can't remember. I think it was something like Ivan and Lyudmila. Um, but I could be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so they, they went off to visit these people and they yeah. reached the house and they're outside. And inside, there's this group of neighbours in the house and the couple had had them over and were preaching, had preached to them and they had come under conviction of sin. Um, and like, just as the Heinz turn up on the doorstep, these people are giving their lives to Christ. What? So the Heinz are kind of like, oh, we'll just wait outside till the Holy Spirit's done. Um, but they could kind of hear what was going on. And Stuart Hine was so moved that he wrote down a few of the expressions of gratitude that he could hear coming from inside. And those expressions became mm. the foundation of verse three. Oh. Which goes, And when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. Then sings my soul, my saviour God to thee, how great thou art. How great thou art. That's like my favorite verse of that song. That's so We're not crazy. even done with the crazy stories yet. Ah, oh, that's so crazy. I mean, because that's how it feels like a, it feels like a genuine reaction to accepting the gospel. That it's verse. Because it was. It was. That was exactly, exactly what was happening at the time. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Crazy. 
Yeah, so it gets wilder. (laughs) 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 So years of faithful ministry go by before we reach the 1930s. And we all know that Europe in the 1930s was a bundle of fun um, Mm. (laughs) with fascism on one side and communism on the other. Mm -hmm. Um, And like good, loving, caring socialists who are all about the people, Russia, under the hand of Stalin, decides it's going to create a man-made famine in Ukraine. Oh, my gosh. It's an unusual form of genocide, but it's an effective one. Yeah. And at this point, Stuart and Edith have to move but they're not like moving out of Europe yet. They're kind of just moving into Poland, um, mm-hmm. which turns out later was not a good choice. Mm. Um, and it takes Hitler's expansion into Poland and Czechoslovakia to finally force them to return to England in 1939, mm. where they worked among the displaced Polish community during the war. Oh, wow. Yeah. A lot of this history is not really that well known, like particularly the stuff about the famine. Yeah. Um, and I was only kind of vaguely aware of it because the BBC covered it a while back, some anniversary. Um, yeah. But you should look it up. It's it's pretty shocking. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely puts you off left-wing politics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, One would hope. It, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so just a quick recap. At this point, it's 1939. The hymn has travelled across at least four languages over 53 years, mm-hmm. and we still have another verse to come, but it's mm. on its way. Okay. Um, so the story ends, or maybe begins, who knows, in Sussex after the end of World War II. Mm-hmm. So the Hinds are using their language skills to minister to the displaced Poles and the Russians in a, mm-hmm. a kind of camp for refugees and stuff. Mm-hmm. So the final verse is finished in 1948. And it all comes down to the testimony of one lost and homesick Russian man. It's really sweet. It makes me emotional. Like when I first read it, I was like, oh, Um, anyway, Mm -hmm. this story goes that this Russian believer had been separated from his wife right at the very end of the war. Mm -hmm. Um, And at the time that they were kind of separated, she was a Christian, but he wasn't. Okay. Um, And he had since come to faith. I was desperate to find her so that they could finally share that faith. But he didn't actually ever expect to see her on earth again. Mm -hmm. So he was telling Hein all of this and he expressed how much he was looking forward to the day when he would meet her in heaven Mm -hmm. and they would rejoice together there. Um, And it was his faith and his story that inspired the final verse, which is... And when he comes with shout of acclamation to take me home, what joy shall fill my heart. And I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim, my God, how great thou art. Amen. You need a little <laughs> tissue. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's lovely. Do you lovely. know what's super sweet, though, is that that's exactly where that Russian man and his wife are right now. And that's what yes. they're doing along uh. with the hinds. And probably the neighbors that were saved in that random Russian village. And yeah. Yeah. So that's I really think cool. That's why I love thinking about um, being with Christ, you know, um, whatever, you know, our, our viewers, our listeners, um, uh, the theological views are on end times. I think we all can agree that being with the Lord 
in being free from sin and being able to see him fully and rejoice as one body, as the, as the bride of Christ, that's amazing, you know, and, and it is a hope that we cling to because, you know, this life is messed up. These guys were, (laughs) you know, um, refugees of war, you know, and, and they still, they knew what their greatest hope was. It was seeing Christ face to face and being able to have that perfect communion with each other and with Christ. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's lovely. But, um, as we just, as we wrap up, the completion of this hymn is kind of only the beginning. So in 1949, the hymn, the finished hymn, finally finished hymn, gets published mm-hmm. in the Russian Gospel magazine and it gets okay. circulated around camps and communities of Russians all over Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, and English-speaking missionaries learn it in English and they start carrying it with them wherever they, they end up. Mm-hmm. Um, and we find ourselves going east again <laughs> to India. Nice. Where an American man called Dr. Edwin Orr, um, he hears it and he's mm-hmm. like, oh, I really like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so he takes it back to the States with him and it finally makes it back to the States. <laughs> but all this time, the hymn is still struggling to take off in English. And its big break comes mm-hmm. during the Billy Graham crusade in 1954. Um, um so somehow the words in both English and Russian find themselves in the hands of George Beverly Shea, mm-hmm. who was a singer. Um, apparently, I'd never heard of him. Um, yeah, he was the musical director and, oh. of the Billy Graham Crusades. We actually talked about him really briefly um, on the episode. Oh, gosh, I'm totally blanking now is the episode where we were talking about a song that um, was popularized at Moody Bible Institute. Oh, yes. Moody Bible College. I can't remember the song. I can't remember the song. Oh, no. <laughs> but I, will, yes. I will find it. Um, yeah. But I actually watched the recording of him singing it. It was really cool. Wow. Really? Yeah. I'll put it in the newsletter because yeah. it's like proper video and stuff. Oh. Um, so George Beverly Shea gets it. He shares it with other members of the team and he tries it out at the crusade in Toronto a year later. Mm-hmm. And people are finally like, oh, hey, this is a really great song. I've never mm-hmm. heard this. Mm-hmm. So he premieres it properly at the 1957 crusade in New York. And he mm-hmm. will go on to sing that 93 times just in the New York campaign. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, so after that, Elvis gives it a bit of a bump in the charts when he sings it in 1967. And from there, you've got like Mahalia Jackson, Cliff Richards, Jennifer Hudson, the Pentatonics. They've all sung it. And it's been voted the second most popular hymn, English hymn, numerous times, coming basically second to Amazing Grace every time. <laughs> wow. What yeah. a journey. No kidding. Um, the rest, they say, is history. Uh, so I'm just going to finish by reading you one last extra verse that Hein wrote. He said it was optional, um, but it, it's really encouraging. Um, and then Monet is going to read for you uh, 1 Chronicles 29, 11. Um, but before we do, I want to just remind you that this is not a song we sing because everything is fine and dandy. And the long history behind it 
its writing will testify to that. We sing this song because despite wars and famines and pandemics and displacement and separation and the aching for home, our God remains great. So yeah, mm. an extra an extra verse just to boost your spirits. When burdens press and seem beyond endurance, bow down with grief to him I lift my face. And then in love, he brings me sweet assurance. My child, for thee, sufficient is my grace. So sings my soul, my saviour God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Thy praise shall sound throughout eternity. How great thou art, how great thou art. So if Monet would say, uh, if you would just read for us, 1 Chronicles 29, 11. Yes, happily. Um, that verse reads, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Amen to that. That's true. And it's, it's a great point that you have brought, this, brought us on that journey because you see his greatness and his power through the creation and through salvation and through the promise we have in seeing him face to face in heaven and in the new heavens and the new earth. So looking forward to it. <laughs> looking forward to it. Yeah, so that's us for today. Thank you so much for listening. We hope this encouraged you um, and that you learned something new about this popular hymn. I certainly learned a lot and I'm glad that we did look into it. So don't forget, you can follow us on social media at Impartial. You can sign up for our newsletter, get George Beverly Shea direct to your inbox this week. Um, and in the meantime, may the Lord bless and keep you. Bye. Bye.